Welcome to the Should Have Backed It podcast. In this episode, we'll be looking back at the two big group ones at Randwick, headlined by the All Ages Stakes. Run and one by track specialist and inaugural Golden Eagle winner, Colding. To talk through all the action is Australia's number one tipster and form analyst, Chris Finuccio. There was plenty of great racing across the country over the weekend. What caught your eye, mate? Hello, Phil. Good to be back again for another episode. Yeah, there's a few talking points from the weekend. I have to say the all-age caught my eye. I think that was a great race. Now, Mars Crusader had too much to do. We'll talk about that later. But it was just a great battle between Colding and Sabatiano. Yeah, they were just outstanding performers, and it was just a great battle. Yeah, it was a great battle, but I think you might have been on a different horse in that uh, in that race, mate. Talk me through it. Are you on Mars Crusader? Yeah, I was. I just thought the price was tempting. and Look, I, I think Mars Crusader is the best horse in the race, even though he didn't win. From the wide barrier, I was hoping, you know, if he jumps well, yeah, maybe Tommy Berry can go forward a little bit, find a spot somewhere. As it turned out, he did jump out well. And unfortunately for Tommy that no-one on his inside wanted to let him in, so he would have been posted three wide, so he's been forced to go back, and he's run the last 600 in 32.81, I think I read, and he was the only horse to break 33 seconds, so that was just a phenomenal effort. I mean, argument the argument that that it wasn't his grand final, that it was an end-of-prep run, well, when you're running that sort of sectionals, you know, it was, that wasn't a bad run, that was just, that was just an outstanding performance, and he just had too much to do. And, um, you know, I went after that race. I still think he's the best horse out of that race. And I think he's got an exciting spring. Yeah, oh, that's certainly the case. I mean, we'll talk about the winner in a bit more detail in a second. But given Mars Crusader was the favourite and uh, the one that most punters wanted to be on, I did just want to talk through the tactics. You've just mentioned there that the jockey didn't have much to do and the horse was the best in the race. Would there be value in sort of going three wide, do you think? I mean, riding it like it was the best horse in the race, ultimately sitting back where it was, it was never going to track high-quality Group 1 horses like Colding and, and Savitiano. I mean, only horses like Winx and Chautauqua can get from get, get them from there. So it really gave it no chance. Yeah, exactly. That's the exact point I wanted to talk about. I knew I was taking the risk with Mask Crusader. I could just see the horse being last, but I thought that might have been the case had it missed the start like he's inclined to do but I would have thought that you know you're in a non-winning position so why not just be three wide I mean if you're sitting next to Prague for example or maybe even a pair closer but you're three wide you've got nothing to lose because you're already in a a non-winning position so I would have liked to have seen Tommy Berry take that risk because I the way I can explain it is you know he's pulling the horse back to last. He's putting the brakes on. Uh, the way I will explain it was, if, if you're driving, if you're in a car driving and you want to change lanes, when you you put the brakes on and you have to let a car next to you drive past you. So he's driving away from you while you're putting the brakes on and you're losing ground. And that's what's happened with Mars Crusader. He's gone back to last. He's lost ground on the second last horse, Prague. And then he's got to get going again. Whereas... I reckon Tommy Berry should have just stayed three wide, kept the horse's momentum, and, you know, if he wins or not is another argument, but it might have been the difference between winning or even running top three. 
Yeah, I must say, on first watch, I actually thought the ride was fine, but I've, I've subsequently taken a look at the race a couple of times, and I, I couldn't agree more. It, it just was never going to win from there. I mean, you're not going to track these, these types of horses down. You can run whatever sectionals you want to run at the end, and you can get the best 600 of the day, but that means nothing if you're running fifth. So I actually think, in hindsight, they, they should have tried to get in a more positive position, even if it was a couple wide. You never know what's going to happen in running. The field did string out. So you could find a spot and find a bit of cover there too. Also, when you're three wide back to the field, you're not really doing a lot of work. It's different when you're three wide and you're and you're doing work up forward. That's a difference. He's Musgrave is back in the field. He's not doing much. I don't think there's a big issue being three wide. And as I, as I said before, you really got nothing to lose because you're already in a, a non-winning position. Yeah, that's right. Um, what did you make of the other race? I mean, uh, horses in the race. I mean, Colding, for me, wasn't keen at the 1400, but a few of the other foxes that did tick, for example, obviously it was a dry track on the weekend. Uh, you know, it does like Randwick, as I sort of mentioned in the start of the uh, episode there. So $9, um, if you were a Colding fan, was a bit of a steal. Yeah, it was. And particularly, that's the first good track you've seen this prep. So he's had four runs and three of them have been on the, on the, at least the, the soft. I just think with Colding and Sabatiano from barriers three and six, they were third and fourth in the run. So they just had the perfect spots and, you know, they were always going to be hard to run down. They were, they were going to run the closing sectionals that would have made it impossible for Mask Crusader to catch them. So they just had the position in running. Colding got a good track. I think he, I think he was headed by Sabatiano. It looked like that on the replay. And, he, and he's just fought back and won. I mean, Sabatiano, I mean, she's got a good record at the 14. Maybe, you know, just sees her out a little bit. So maybe that's the difference between the result there. And look, position and running, I think that was the theme of the day, Big V, uh, and probably a nice segue into the Champagne Stakes, which was a, a nice battle there in the two-year-old race between Captivant and Halal. And ultimately, I think the position in running is what, uh, led to Captivant just getting over the line over Halal because I think if you switch those runs, you probably switch the result. Yeah, I think um, you're right there. And, and also with both those horses, they weren't too far away where they, they could make up that ground because they, you know, they were midfield or maybe just worse than midfield, but they were still in a, a position where they could win. Um, you got good prices for both of them, Captivant and Halal, 480 and 420 respectively. And I think that's because you look at the, the horse that's run fifth, Port Lewis, was backed in from about, I think, $10 to $5. And as a punter, I didn't like this race as a betting perspective, so I stayed out. But if you'd like Captivant and Halal, you, it's it's a, it's good when a horse that you don't think is going to be in the finish, there's money for it, and that just gives you a better odds for the horse that you really do like. So if you found the winner and there was not much between them, you would have got a, a good result out of that. Yeah, I think you're right there. They were the two um, obvious uh, selections. But I think actually Paul Lewis made of cunning from $31 into 5 actually Big V. So the, there was a massive push there. And, yeah. I mean, it's missed out two lengths. It's come from a long way back and was a bit of an eye-catching run. But So you'd argue the money wasn't wrong. It just wasn't right either yeah. uh, with, with that particular horse. And, yeah, it did just look to be a battle in, in two all the way down the straight um, in that one. But uh, I guess we mentioned last week that this might not be the cream of the crop when it comes to the two-year-olds, but I guess Captivant now has a nice little stud fee attached to it. Yeah, yes, you're right there, but I don't know how this race is rated because both horses 
were beaten three lengths by Animo, who was hard held in the the sires. So, yeah, maybe there's a bit of a question mark over the the quality of the race. Oh, look, I think they'll take their Group 1, though, Big V, regardless of that. But you're right, I think there's a couple better. Obviously, the the winner of the Slipper and Animo stand out as a two-year-old crop from from this season. But, you know, you you can't knock a a nice Group 1 win there from uh, Captivant. Now, mate, we might move to uh, our Shoulda Backed and Sacked for the weekend. I'm going to move to Caulfield for mine, and they're actually both in the same race. So... Um, in the uh, listed anniversary vars there at Caulfield on Saturday, I my should have backed it was still a star. Uh, look, it looks it's a bit of a serial winner, still still a star, and really sneaky little ride by Michael Poy to get it up the inside when a lot of the horses were sort of coming off the fence. So yeah, I was a little bit disappointed to miss it. To be honest, I was on be good to your mother. Um, I don't know why. I still don't know why. It's definitely my should have sacked it for the weekend. They've changed the tactics with that horse, making it go back and. I just don't think it's the same horse uh, that it once was. Uh, there was some market support for it, so that kind of, I guess, egged me on a little bit. But ultimately, still a star. Great race and great win. Um, and, you know, I think a weak sort of Group 1 mares type race could be a Group 1 winner at some point. Yeah, I was interested in Miss Elmantra in this race. I was pretty keen on her and... Uh, I think she's a horse we can still follow, even though she's finished runner-up. I was just having a look at the replay of this race, and I think Michael Poy didn't really have too many options um, because every. But I think yeah, he was um, benefited from everyone else wanting to go out wide, so he's just decided just to stay on the rail and looked like it wasn't too much uh, of a problem staying in the rail because the rain started to hit. I think around um, the race before, so it was race eight, so around race seven, it started to rain a bit heavily, but so there was no problems with the inside. And he's and he's got rewarded. Um, Miss Almantra, uh, you know, back marker, always going to find it hard to win. I thought she ran well as well, just tracking riddle me that. But, you know, they were still at least two months away from still a star, so all honours to the winner. Yeah, for sure. What did you make of the the price you could get around still a star? I thought 440 in, in with the benefit of hindsight, was, was quite good, given that this is a horse, obviously, that had run in the All-Star Mile uh, you know, it's a, as I said, a serial winner, and you're getting a decent price around it. Yeah, no, you're getting good prices with the the top three in the that, the top three finishes. So I mean, it's a matter of you know finding the horse that you like, and you're getting a good price for it. It did drift. It was three sixty out to four forty. The missile mantra held its price and jumped out favourite. So I, I I expected missile mantra to be favourite, and that's what's happened. But you still got a good price. I thought Rykovic was under the odds. I don't like horses jumping from eleven to fourteen hundred. Although Rykovic has run well, finishing fourth, um, I was against him. I thought six dollars was a bit short, and even be good to your mother, seven dollars. I thought he was under the odds. So you got two horses there that were, you know, tight in the market, and you're getting a good price for still a star, Miss Mantra, and riddle me that. I, yeah. thought, I, thought, I thought only one of those three could win this race. I think like a lot of races at Caulfield uh, on Saturday, you you know, if you, if you did like a horse, you were getting value for that. The, 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 the market couldn't quite work out who was going to win a number of these races. And I think a good example of that is your should have backed it horse for the weekend, which was in the fourth race there at Caulfield in the Phillies and Mares benchmark 78, uh, Intrepidacious, which uh, 
just held on over Plaquette. Yeah, it was a horse that I've been, I had an eye on. It's changed, I think it's, no, I don't think it's changed stables, but it has been it had been running in Sydney. I think last prep it won a trial by about, um, just having a look here now. Um, well, it won some trials impressively before last prep. And it just, um, yeah, here it is, four and a half lengths in November. But I just thought first up, because it's, cause it's an on-speed runner, usually leads, first up, you know, maybe, it, you know, the last hundred, it might be really feeling the pinch. So I just stayed out. And also with Marabee in the race, Marabee was a short favourite, but that was scratched on the Friday evening. So I thought it was a really open race. But Intrepidatious had been a horse I wanted, I've been keeping an eye on. I just wanted to see it first up, knowing his pattern of leading, Maybe that might be a bit tough to do first up and maybe you'll derive some benefit from that fitness. But he settled fourth in the run and he's managed to just get the bob in. So, yeah, missed out on him. But we'll see where he goes next. So you'll be following him moving forward then, I, su- I suspect, there? I'll, I'll see what where oh, he her, goes sorry. next. If he's, in a, if he's in another winnable race, yeah, I'll be keen to, to stick with him. I mean, bearing in mind, this was a benchmark 78, so that is his level. I mean, he's you, you go back to Boxing Day and he's finished second in front of Ellsberg in, a ben, in another benchmark 78, and Ellsberg has, has gone on to be a, a real serious horse. And then on the Gold Coast, he's run second to Stolen Jade. So that's, you know, pretty solid form. So, yeah, I'll be looking to see where he goes. You know, he can go through the grades and maybe find another benchmark race and, and could win again. Well, mate, um, I didn't mention it off the top because it's not a subject I like to mention, but I had a bit of a shocker again on the weekend, and that's two in a row. Um, I know you can get in and out of punting form, and if, if there was a form guide, I'd be definitely out of form. And one of the horses that I did really fancy on the weekend was in race six there at Caulfield, Alpha Aura. I just thought this is a listed group horse in a, you know, a benchmark race, should really uh, put these to the sword. But... I've noticed it's pulled up with a, a bleed, so there, there are excuses there, but I guess, what do you make of that horse? It's, it's kind of not quite lit, got to the heights that we expected. Yeah, I expected better from him this race. Um, I thought he was disappointing first up. So, I mean, obviously there is the, the excuse, so he's only finished... It's a fair excuse. One and a half. <laughs> yeah, he's only finished one and a half lengths. He looked like he was going to be... Um, a bit messy there for him at one stage, but um, I think he's the type of horse you just got to. When he if he comes back, you, it's just a watch with him. You just, you want to see him get back into some good form before you you commit to him again. Yeah, just uh, disappointing. A couple of uh, you know favourites or, or horses that we thought were out of their in, you know out of their grey really in, in, in races that they should be winning didn't do that at Caulfield and, and also at Flemington, I think, uh, yesterday um, for the uh, for the meeting there. Uh, but uh, the horse that you wished that you hadn't backed on the weekend was back at Randwick in race two, a race won by All Hallows Eve, uh, and you were you were on Matchmaker in that particular race. Yeah, I made Matchmaker my best for the weekend and he was a big drifter on the day. He went out to... 550s about 360 on Thursday Friday and he's blown out to 5 550 and I think the punters they've taken him on 
at the 1400. But, yeah, he's beaten Mabusha to start before. And, you know, I thought, you know, even though he's got the wide barrier, he'll settle forward and, and just go on with it. He looked like a different horse coming to Australia. But, you know, he just he just was a big drifter and, you know, he just ran accordingly. It was a very poor run and, and maybe he's just not a 1400 horse. Um, I was keen to take on the favourite Kiku as well. I know Kiku looks, um, you know, a nice filly, but she was dropping back from 16 to 14. You know, she's a back marker. It was a slow tempo. So I was keen to take her on and, you know, she's finished out of the placings as well. But, um, you know, I was surprised that Matchmaker was a big drifter and and ran to the to the market. Well, mate, that's a good example of, you know, the old lay bet that we've discussed in the past when you, you lay a horse like Kiku. you still got to find the winner at the end of the day, and <laughs> that race was a pretty tough one. I think outside yeah. of it, you know, a lot of horses between that sort of 5 to sort of $9 mark and a hard one to find. Um, yeah, as, a, as you said, a bit of a plane run there from Matchmaker, so um, I actually stayed out of that one, thankfully, because I would have got nowhere near it. Yeah, I, would have been, so I wouldn't be surprised if this is an ordinary race because you've got the second horse... Um, Eliza Beale, although it, it, she's a good horse, but she was dropping back from 2000 to 14 and she's ended up nearly winning the race. So, yeah, I don't know what to make of this, um, the form coming out of, coming out of this race. It was interesting your comment there, Big V, around back markers. And we've talked in the past about, you know, Australian racing, how you do need to be in that sort of uh, forward on pace position to really get your percentages up in turn, terms of winning. And I think one of the issues with me, the last few weeks as I've been backing too many of these back markers and they can put in great performances like, you know, Mars Crusader and others that we've seen, but ultimately they're not winning. So it's a, it's a really low percentage play. And I'm, I'm wondering, Big V, whether we just need to realign ourselves a little bit with some of these leaders and on-pace runners. Yeah, I think um, you're right there. And then when you start doing that, you back the leader and they end up going too fast and getting run down by the back marker. So it, it has happened... To me, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, and I think half the problem is you, you think uh, some of these runners might be a bit closer in the run and they're not. Other times I've backed horses jumping from, you know, barrier seven and eight and they've ended up on the rail back in the field and you just think, how has that happened? And I, and I, I said at the top of the program that I could see that happening with Mask Crusader, but I was just, you know, just was tempted by his price because I thought he is the best horse in the race. Maybe things might unfold for him. You might find a spot a bit closer. Uh, so I think it depends on the race. At, at group level, group particularly group one level, you, you've got to be in an advantageous position. Sometimes in these benchmark races, you can make up ground depending on the quality. But, yeah, I think you just got to um, try and look for those horse, those good horses that, are going to be you know, on speed and in a position to win. Now, like Miss Almantra, I think Miss Almantra is a, a good horse. I reckon she'll you know, rebound from that run, but it was just she just conceded too much ground. Interested in your thoughts, Big V. Uh, question without notice. Obviously, we've just had the big carnival up there in Sydney. What did you make of the Randwick track? Did you think it had a bias or did you think it favoured certain runners uh, over the carnival? I think... Um... Yeah, that is a question without notice. I think on Saturday it played well. You know, I think it was fair. I think there was... I don't know if it, if it was... I think there was criticism of the track. I think was it day one or day two of the championships? I think it was, might have been day two. Yeah, I think it was. 
Yeah, well, you just had no chance um, if you're on the rail. Um, so, yeah, I think day two, the track played poorly, but I think on Saturday it was pretty fair. Fair enough, mate. Uh, look, always looking for new excuses of why things haven't gone right, mate. I was hoping you are going to tell me there was a wicked bias that I'd missed. But what I might do now is just move to our horses to follow. Obviously, uh, some some really good racing, particularly up there in Sydney. And my two horses to follow both come out of the Randwick races, uh, races eight and nine. And the first one I wanted to focus on was the winner of the last. And, yeah, you, you'd pretty easy one to pick out. It was uh, lost and running, won by four lengths, and just looked good on the eye. And it was backed up by the times as well. So that looks to be a really promising horse moving forward and one that you should definitely put in your black book, I'd say. I'm kicking myself that I probably should have made this. I should have backed it because I was tossing up between Lost and Running and Selena Dreaming, and then I missed the price on Lost and Running, and I thought so, you know, maybe twelve hundred could be vulnerable. You know, they looked like a bit of speed in that race, and he just put them away. So, and I thought the price was. I thought he was too short on Saturday. I missed the price on the Friday, and I've gone the other way. But he was. Really impressive. Uh, you could have gone on at any price, mate, when it's running away at them by four lengths like that. You know, nothing's too short. But, yeah, it looks, looks to be a really good horse. The other horse I wanted to focus on, probably not going to be, you know, fighting out for, for the bigger races, but it's Nudge, the, the horse that just missed out in race eight, uh, ran second. Uh, it was on the inside, got caught in the kind of position that you were describing earlier when you sort of jump out of barrier seven or so and then you end up on the rails, but didn't get the run when it needed to, got blocked for that run. When it did get out, finished off really well, just missing out. It's come back really consistent, this prep, uh, admittedly only in benchmark racing, but you know it looks a progressive type and I think it's one that you can keep an eye on because you, you do tend to get a decent price around Nudge. Yeah, I had Nudge as my horse to follow as well. I mean, that was a benchmark 100, so pretty strong benchmark race True um, I'll need to watch the replay again because um, you do have seven horses finishing within two lengths so just got to have a look at the figures again and sometimes it could be a risk you know following the form out of a race where there's a bunch finished but yeah, I think maybe Nudge should have won that and as I mentioned before I've got Miss Old Mantra as my horse to follow I think she was a big winner first up. I think second up, you can excuse her, maybe just dropping off a little bit. I think she'll rebound and be tough to beat third up. All right, well, I didn't cross uh, check that with you, Big V, so obviously Nudge is the one we've uh, agreed on there, but I think we've got a couple of decent ones to follow moving forward, and, and follow we will. Uh, obviously, the Randwick sort of carnival's wrapped up a little bit over the, over the last couple of weeks, but we've got some great racing coming up particularly moving to Queensland, um, the Brisbane Carnival up there, but also in South Australia as well. We've got the Oaks next week. Is there anything we should be keeping an eye on, any any early predictions moving forward into those sort of carnivals, Big V? Oh, pretty tough to say at the moment. I'm, I was thinking, um, you know, Geetra looked at, I haven't looked at the odds recently though, but Geetra looked a good price for the Goodwood. I know he's on the comeback, but... I think he was paying $6 a couple of weeks ago against Behemoth. I think he's a better horse than Behemoth. Uh, just whether, you know, how forward he is and, you know, being off the scene for a fair bit, you know, whether he can just come back and go bang straight away. Uh, there was one horse that, if I can find it here, there's one horse that I was following from Sydney 
not last Saturday, but the Saturday before. I just want to get the name right. Um, that if it goes to Queensland, might be a good horse to follow. Um, Entrevere ran second to Fasica on day two of the championships in the last race. I think there's a win in store coming for that horse, whether it's in Sydney or maybe if they go up to Queensland. Sounds good, Big V. We'll put those ones in the black book and, and see what price we get moving forward in, in, into Queensland uh, over the next few weeks. But there's some great racing across the country over those times, so I'm looking forward to having a chat with you about them. And that's all we've got time for this week on this episode. So thanks again, Big V. Always good to have a chat and get your thoughts on what has been a, a pretty big couple days of racing. Uh, to our listeners, thanks again. Please follow us on the at should have backed it Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, like and subscribe to the to the podcast as well. All that helps quite a lot. So thanks again. Thanks, Big V. And, and as, as always, good luck on the punt.